Welcome to Better Brace podcast, where we start a conversation with the community about aspects of sexual harassment in the workplace, ranging from how to define workplace harassment to legal actions and power dynamics. We are a group of international students from Minerva schools at KGI. Through this podcast, we want to raise awareness about workplace harassment, empower individuals with the resources to recover from workplace harassment, and provide a space for people to seek help from one another. We are so glad you're part of this journey with us. We know this is a tough topic, but it's important to start this conversation. And remember, no one should be alone in this. Just a heads up, due to coronavirus, we have to record some of our episodes virtually, so our audio quality may not always be ideal. Thanks for hanging tight with us and stay safe. This podcast contains sensitive information about workplace harassment. Please take care while you're listening. Take a break and reach out for support if you need to. Welcome back to the podcast. And we are today introducing Tammy Cho, the CEO of Better Brave. So Tammy, welcome. And tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. Um, So a little bit about myself. I am currently the founder and CEO of Better Brave. And we're a nonprofit that helps workers navigate issues like harassment and discrimination in the workplace. And we do that by empowering them with different free tools and resources to learn about their rights and then also connect with the right people to help them navigate those next steps. What what made you decide to start Better Brave? Good question. Um, So I guess a little bit more about my background as well (laughs) is um, I started my first company when I was a student at Georgetown University. Um, It was a tech startup. I ended up leaving school to focus on it full time. And so you can imagine I was probably one of the youngest people in the room whenever we were pitching the company and doing anything related to the company. And for me, um, you know, being a young founder, when I did come across some uncomfortable situations, I didn't really know how to respond to them. I figured, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a young founder, so maybe I just have to like work my way up to get others' respect. Or even if it was a very uncomfortable situation, I didn't know really what to say or what to do, or if this was something that I should accept as part of the industry, or if I should take action against it. And I continue to encounter different experiences like that over the course of many years working in tech. What really changed for me was when Susan Fowler over at Uber uh, ended up writing this blog post about the harassment and discrimination she yeah. was experiencing at Uber. Not just the harassment there from her colleagues, but the fact that she reported things to HR mm-hmm. and the way they responded. Right, right. And I think that the retaliation she experienced at Uber was really shocking to me. When I read her story, it made me realize that I wasn't alone in my experiences. And so I felt like knowing that I wasn't alone, I had to do something about it. I started off with conversations with my own circle. So reading her story made me feel empowered enough to start talking to people about my own experiences. And as I started to share my experiences, they started to share their experiences. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon they were introducing me to other friends in their circles who have had similar experiences. And before I knew it, one thing led to another and it went from talking to 10 people to 20 people Mm -hmm. of people who experienced harassment. And then pretty soon I was getting introduced to other types of stakeholders. So like HR experts, employment lawyers. Mm -hmm. And within, I believe it was about six months, uh, my co-founder and I at the time, we ended up interviewing over 200 people. 
Wow. <laughs> landscape of harassment. And those conversations shaped the programs that Better Brave has today and is going to be launching in the next few weeks. Yeah, thank you for sharing. So to start us off with this conversation, can you please define what is sexual harassment for you? As it has so many interpretations that it can even get confusing. Yeah. So this is a really tough question. <laughs> so there is a legal definition for what sexual harassment is. We have different categories such as is it severe and pervasive? Does it create a hostile work environment? Um, and so we can always dive into the legal language a little bit deeper, but I think something that's important for us to have conversations about and consider is that sometimes it takes a lot, like even if the legal definition exists, it takes a lot <laughs> to even if you went to court to win a case. If you think about a lot of the cases that are out, the public cases that are out there, it took like 13, <laughs> sometimes 25, sometimes 60 women yeah. to speak up against one perpetrator and for that perpetrator to even be taken to trial in the first place, right? And so I think it's really important for a community to, to move beyond just focusing on the legal definition of harassment mm -hmm. discrimination and consider what this actually looks like in the workplace and better understand what the spectrum of these incidents look like in the workplace, have discussions about that and how we address that at all mm -hmm. different levels, even if it may not technically reach the legal definition of harassment discrimination. So you kind of talking about the legal definition or just a general definition, and then also what you mentioned about starting Better Brave and how you got to kind of these new programs. So what are those programs? What Where are you going right now? We launched with a guide for targets of sexual harassment. That was the first piece of content that we put out as an organization. And again, that was a collection that we put together based on all the stories that we've heard. And one of the biggest findings from talking and interviewing over 200 people was despite the statistics of one in three women experience mm -hmm. sexual harassment in the workplace at some point in their career, nobody is really taught what to do when you do experience it. We don't learn mm -hmm. it in school. Even companies do technically are supposed to offer harassment trainings, but oftentimes you, you show up to work on the first day, HR gives you an onboarding session and mm -hmm. they just say like, oh, they're going to have some ma mandatory sexual harassment training. Right. And we all awkwardly laugh about it and mm -hmm. move on. But unfortunately, it's reality that a lot of people experience this issue. And it's important that we know our rights in the workplace mm -hmm. and how to navigate these issues when they do arise. And so because of that, we put together this clear and simple guide that does exactly that. We outline what your rights are in the workplace. We go through the legal definition of harassment and discrimination. And then we outline a couple of different options for you. Everything mm -hmm. from your legal options to what if you don't want to pursue legal action, what can you do as well? Or even if you can't pursue legal action, what can you do? So that was the first program that we launched. We also have a help center. Mm -hmm. So people can actually contact us and we will connect with them and find resources for them in their city. And so whether that's a support group, they need help finding a therapist, they need help finding a lawyer to consult with, we will do that. And we oftentimes connect them to our partner organizations as well. There's been a lot of nonprofits that, that have been working in this space offering different services. And so we try to connect individuals to the appropriate resources. So do you notice that those resources tend to change a lot across multiple industries or are, is it kind of almost universal? It's a great question. So the resources fundamentally apply across industries. For instance, if you need legal help 
oftentimes you would go to an employment lawyer and regardless of which industry you're in, you probably want to find an employment lawyer. One thing I do want to point out is it is really important, I think, and essential for us to start building out resources per industry. And that's really powerful because there are also nuances within an industry that you can't capture through a general mm -hmm. service. For instance, even when we talk about the spectrum of harassment, it's very different across industries. So there was one case where it was a pharmaceutical company that was getting sued for discrimination and harassment. There were certain terms that were being tossed around that were specific to that industry. But it's so ingrained in the industry that the women that were working there didn't even realize that that was inappropriate mm -hmm. because it's so ingrained as part of the culture of that industry. And it was only when somebody who was outside the industry heard that comment and realized that this was an example of something really toxic going on. That's why it's really powerful to be able to create resources that can call out specific behaviors per industry so that people can better identify it and address it. Like talking about all these industries, I can imagine you like working with like one industry, but then going, for example, to say a restaurant industry and saying so many problems there, right? But we usually don't talk about like small industries because they even don't have employment HR in charge of it. Yeah, it is a difficult situation to be in when well, your company doesn't have an HR team. I think we see that very much in small businesses and even startups, mm -hmm. right? Oftentimes, startups don't even hire their first official HR person until they're way too big to have an mm -hmm. HR person. Things have already gotten out of hand. And then for small businesses, it's also tricky because oftentimes it's just you and the business owner. Another layer to this is also oftentimes, in, especially in small business industries, a lot of people are undocumented workers as well. And that adds another level of vulnerability. The perpetrators often know, are aware of that factor. Mm -hmm. And so it adds an additional layer of risk mm -hmm. of harassment in those situations. It's really challenging. And this is, again, where it's so important for us to shed more issues mm -hmm. so that more people recognize that this is a prevalent issue across industries mm -hmm. and rally together to bring about change in this space. I think the other piece is that we need more people putting resources into other nonprofits that provide services to help these individuals as well. So there's mm -hmm. a quite a few different legal services out there, for instance, that are dedicated to serving undocumented immigrants. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes they need the money to be able to provide those services. And so we need to be able to raise more awareness around this issue and how people rally around those services as well. So you were talking about rights in general. So how how do rights work across industry and then even across the idea of immigration that you're bringing in there? Does everyone have equal rights when encountering sexual harassment? The struggle is that not everyone has the same protections when it comes mm -hmm. to this, right? Where a lot of people initially, like if you're a full-time employee, you have full protection. But there's a lot of gray area or like room for interpretation when it comes to do contractors, to interns, to female founders like, who mm -hmm. get harassed by these perpetrators, do they have the same protections as someone who's like a full-time employee? There's been bills that have been passed in California, for instance, to better articulate that in the law so people can't argue against contractors having protections, for instance. So that's in the works, but that's still like an ongoing discussion. But people are working towards making sure everyone has those protections available. I think it's so important to talk about it because like, for example, for me, the fear of brutalization is mm -hmm. in... I think it's the biggest that people face, right? And it's such a common sense that you're afraid to lose your job. At the same time, you're not sure, can you like 
actually filed the legal case against sexual perpetrator? Like, how does it work? How do you address maybe fear of violation to the government who will come to you? Yeah, there's also government enforcement agencies that are able to investigate these cases and dive into them further. The EEOC is an example of them. So you can actually file a report with them and they can investigate your claim. So those agencies are enforcement agencies where they will evaluate the case. And if you have the resources available, they'll be able to pursue that case on your behalf. Invest in, go through the proper investigation process, dive into that further. More thoughts on retaliation too. So we can dive into that because that's, yeah. that's a big piece that I don't think there's enough discussion around where oftentimes the majority of the people that actually reach out to us for help and for additional resources mm -hmm. are actually individuals that initially reported it to their company first in hopes that their company would resolve things. Just right. they have conflict with a colleague and they report to the company, expect the company to do some type of mediation. They're not thinking about any taking any type of legal action. Taking legal action is very stressful. Yeah. It's an emotional and mental toll. It takes years to even find a resolution to. The majority yeah. of people do not want to pursue legal action. Mm -hmm. There's these individuals who would reach out to their companies hoping for some type of policy change, some type of training to be implemented. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, after they reported their companies retaliate, their companies put them on performance reviews, suddenly stating that they're underperforming at the company. You know, six to eight months after that, they're laid off. Those are all different forms of retaliation that we've seen from employers. And that happens quite often. It's definitely something that we want to raise more awareness around in terms of both educating companies on how to better handle those situations. Yeah but also helping employees recognize those signs. Because sometimes those signs of retaliation are so subtle yeah. that you yourself think that you're crazy. You're mm. like, am I Am I actually incapable of doing this work? Am right. I actually the problem with the company? You start questioning mm -hmm. yourself when in reality, it's are other parties involved with this issue that are making you feel that way. Yeah, and I can imagine that's really difficult when as the person who's like getting that, it's hard to almost prove that this is retaliation and it isn't that your company is just saying you're bad because especially if they're going through formal processes. Right. So can you speak to that? How can we prove that you're being discriminated against based off of this report versus someone looking at it and saying, oh, they've just decided you're not performing anymore? It's a great question. And it's, it's very challenging because oftentimes we hope for the best in mm -hmm. the situation. We give them the benefit of the doubt and we, we don't expect companies to be creating this case against us right. after report. It's unfortunate to even have to like be prepared for that worst case yeah. situation in a way from your own company. I think the biggest piece of advice that we try to give to our community is document whenever you can. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so anytime you have an issue, keep a personal record. This is on like your personal computer, personal phone, not your company computer, all your personal devices, or like even pen and paper. Just start documenting what's happening. Everything from the incident to any conversations you've scheduled with HR mm -hmm. to the HR's response to your report as well. Make sure to write down all the parties involved, the dates, the timestamps as much as possible. And the reason I say that is because one, it's an emotional situation, so it's hard to oftentimes remember everything that has happened if it's like too much time away from it. Um, and the other piece is if you ever decide that you do want to report this to HR, mm -hmm. you can have a clear record of what happened. If it ever goes into investigation, for instance, again, you'll have a documentation of everything that happened and you won't have to be like, oh, what happened here? 
Although you're still going to have to do that a little bit, you'll have more peace of mind that you have that documentation ready there. And one more thing I wanted to add to that is I think oftentimes when we encounter these situations are this is based on interviews that we've done and also through personal experience. Mm-hmm. I think our natural instinct is, let's say we get an inappropriate text message from a coworker, mm-hmm. is to, obviously we didn't expect that and don't want to see it ever again. So our natural yeah. inclination is to delete it. Right. <laughs> but those are actually, as hard as it is, as it is it's better to keep that in the mm-hmm. case that you decide you want to raise this issue to your company. Can you please speak about some common stories that come to Better Brave so we can imagine how it looks like or maybe like specific stories if you have some to share? Absolutely. I can't get into the specifics individual story, but I can share general insights that we've gotten over time. I think a very common pattern that we've seen in terms of experiences when it comes to retaliation is an individual will report an issue, raise an issue to their HR team about mm-hmm. something, an encounter that they had with a colleague. And oftentimes that colleague is in a high leverage situation. So for instance, they bring in a lot of money for the company. And so the company has this idea that they, they should protect that individual, quote, superstar team member, because they bring in so much money to the company. And they believe that it's more worth the company's time to protect that superstar individual than to address the issue, the underlying issue there and the Mm -hmm. dynamic there. And that's dangerous, right? Because then it perpetuates this and fosters this culture where you accept this type of toxic behavior. So that's definitely one thing that we see. And so what ends up happening is the company tries to protect the perpetrator instead of protect the individual. The different reactions that we've seen to those situations are, for instance, the company moving the individual who reported the incident to a different Mm -hmm. department while keeping the perpetrator in the same place. Or they'll move the perpetrator, they'll like promote the perpetrators they work in a different department Mm -hmm. from this individual. But again, a lot of their reactions harms the individual who reported more than the perpetrator. So that's definitely like a, a common pattern that we've seen. Another piece related to that as well is we've also seen situations where an individual will report an issue and suddenly they're getting called into meetings saying that, I mentioned this earlier, um, they're getting called into meetings where people are saying that they're underperforming. <laughs> so, and it's it's sudden, right? In a yeah. way where maybe two weeks after reporting the incident, they'll get called in and say, hey, listen, I just wanted to talk because we've noticed that your performance, you haven't been performing as well lately. And so these are the metrics that we want, we want to hold you accountable to over the next few weeks. And this is commonly called a PIP. Hmm. And so they'll sit you down and walk through these metrics with you. And what they'll often find is that week after week, they are trying to hit these metrics, mm-hmm. but there will be more negative criticism that comes back. Hmm. And it just builds up and builds up over time. They're just surprised because initially, like we've been, I've been performing so well up to this point, and right. why is it after a report that suddenly mm. I'm underperforming? And it's so gradual that again, it makes you feel like you're actually underperforming, even though it could be the case that the company's just trying to build a case against mm. you. And so we've also seen those situations where companies have been able to justify firing an employee mm. after reporting due to performance issues. All that to say, I know it is, I, it could get pretty dark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to say all companies are like this, yeah. but I did want to bring attention to this because that's not the right way to handle the situation. And I want to encourage companies 
to find a better way mm-hmm. to do this. So you've talked a lot about kind of like what happens after reporting, but I can imagine there's that same psychological effect of not knowing if you're off base, if someone's doing something that you think is wrong, but might just be them as you're talking about kind of like the feeling crazy. Mm -hmm. So do you think that also happens before reporting? Like they're not really sexual harassing me. Like what is that? And then how can we define that better? So it's easier to just be like, no, that was clearly wrong and move that forward. Absolutely. I think that happens probably more so before reporting than even after reporting. Hmm. I believe over 70% of incidents go unreported. And oftentimes it's due to reasons like fear of retaliation, which Hmm. is obviously unwarranted based on the stories we shared so far. Also confusion about the incident. I think another big factor is there's also just uncertainty about the process and what to expect. Lastly, it's just you have no idea if what you experienced should be considered harassment or not. Something that we found with a lot of the people who hesitated to speak up is they run into situations where we're rationalizing why not to report. Mm -hmm. And those reasons include, I don't want to make this a bigger deal than it has to be. It's crazy, but we've heard some pretty serious cases of harassment at work. Still, the person who even considered reporting the perpetrator, the first thing he says is like, oh, I don't want that person to be fired. (laughs) Right. I I don't want that person to be fired. I don't want to file an official report and get them in trouble. And they're thinking about this perpetrator, like they have a family to take care of Mm -hmm. and they're calling out all these factors. I think that's like another big piece where people at the end of the day, they don't want to cause drama and they don't want to hurt other individuals. And um, that oftentimes stops them from speaking up and reporting as well. Yeah, so one more thing to add to that too is I think there's a level of confusion about whether something was harassment or not because, Mm -hmm. again, we don't have enough discussions about what harassment really looks like in the workplace. Oftentimes, if it's in the norm in industry, you'll find even when you share it with your colleagues, Mm. they'll say, that's part of the industry. For instance, in the entertainment world, there's this whole idea of the casting couch. I mean, like Harvey Weinstein is a yeah. classic mm-hmm. example of that, right? Where he would he would put people in these situations and mm-hmm. have, make them make a choice, yeah. <laughs> an unfair choice. And oftentimes, people in the, in the industry know about it and are aware, aware of it, but yeah. they just say it's part of the industry, so this mm-hmm. is what you signed up for. That adds to why people are confused about what is okay and what's not okay. How we could address that confusion is, again, to really get a good understanding of what harassment looks like across different industries hmm. so that we may be able to shed some light on it so that we can say, even the different type of situations you might run into your industry, and here's how you can respond in those situations. Point out, if you hear the casting director or anybody in your <laughs> industry asking you to sleep with them, for instance, yeah. to get this role, that's not okay. Right. And yeah. we can we can call out like mm-hmm. are these phrases that you've heard mm-hmm. in your industry. So that's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> and we can kind of break that down per industry as well, just to bring more clarity to folks. Just to follow up is that for example, it's such an emotional pressure. So we can as uh, the audience can reach to a better website and just ask for consultation, right? Not actual report or not actually talking to someone in my work if I'm afraid to, but like I can just ask for a consultation and say a practice? Yes. Yes. That was really important to us where we didn't want to be the reporting agency on behalf mm-hmm. of the individual because 
there's so much that goes into your decision of even whether to report in the first place Mm -hmm. to then decide what actions to take after reporting as well. Hmm. And so where what we wanted to help with was really just empowering the individual with all the knowledge that they might need to help make the best decision for themselves. You know, helping them understand these are your rights. These are your different options, whether it's, you know, you can pursue legal action is definitely one option. But again, that's really straining on a lot of people and mm-hmm. it's expensive process, right? Yeah. And so there's a lot of downsides, many upsides, but also downsides to pursuing that. There are some people who may want to write, go to the public or go to the press about it. There are other people who may just want to move on from this, get out of the situation and move on with their lives as well, mm-hmm. right? And so it really depends on so many different factors, whether like your financial situation, do you have a family? How mm-hmm. much time can you dedicate to these next steps? Do you have a good support system to help you navigate these steps? As I hear, the most serious issue right now is that the sexual harassment gets underestimated. So can you just give us some general stats about how widespread this issue is? Sure. So one in three women experience sexual harassment in the workplace at some point in their career, and oftentimes between the ages 18 to 34. And one in six men experience sexual harassment in the workplace at some point in their career. The numbers for underreporting for women are nearly 70%, over 70% of incidents go unreported. And uh, people believe that uh, the rate of underreporting is even higher for men. And part of this is because there's the social stigma for men where if they experience harassment from another woman, for instance, mm-hmm. um, and they share that with a colleague, they'll be met with, hey, like there, you should take that as a compliment. Mm-hmm. You should be grateful that they're hitting on you rather than people saying that, oh, that's inappropriate behavior. So mm-hmm. there's like another layer of social stigma related to that. And if you think about it, that's quite a lot of people. One in three women and one in six men are experiencing this issue. If you think about the number of people in the work workforce in mm-hmm. the U.S., that, that comes out to millions of people being affected by this issue. Mm-hmm. So kind of bringing it back to that individual level, the one in three, one in six, what is a way that we as individuals can help combat sexual harassment in the workplace for ourselves or even for other people? That's a great question. And I think oftentimes people think that it's really intimidating to step up and tackle this issue because it seems like it's an Mm -hmm. issue that's been happening for decades and we still haven't found a solution to it. It can be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But I think if anything that I learned from this experience, it could, it's a lot simpler than you think. Hmm. It can be as simple as just starting conversations with your own colleagues sharing your own experiences dealing with this issue or asking your colleagues as well about their experiences and listening to their stories to being able to do the right thing on your own, right? Mm -hmm. So like for you to not contribute to the problem by being a worker who is respectful and professional in the workplace. I think something else that you can do is to be educated on this issue, right? So understanding what your rights are in the workplace or what type of resources are available if you do experience this because if a colleague were to ever share their experience with you and they feel lost and confused or overwhelmed after an incident Mm -hmm. they can reach out to you and you know exactly where to direct them to Mm -hmm. and so there are little little actions that we can take to be a part of really changing this issue in addition to the bigger actions such as advocating for policies and Mm -hmm. becoming activists and those other forms of change as well. 
Yeah, from your perspective, you are talking about your story as coming out of young professionals, this workplace, and not knowing what to do. And I think it's such an important issue for like new generations and new like workforce that's coming. Do you have some programs or suggestions or anything to talk about it? Yes, I I love that question because it's so important for us to focus on this new generation mm -hmm. of workers entering workplaces. This is a great opportunity for us to be able to help educate individuals about what their rights are in the workplace, as well as different strategies for both addressing issues, if you experience it, to proactively shaping the workplaces around you. And um, I think the type of resources that we're building out plays a role in that as well, because we want it to become common knowledge for everyone to know, A, what their rights are in the workplace, but be understanding different strategies that you can employ as well. Mm -hmm. And again, as I mentioned, it could be those actions could be simpler than you think. For instance, mm -hmm. if you are in a meeting with your colleagues and someone makes an inappropriate comment, you can simply just say, that wasn't cool. Or, oh, what do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. Right. And there's just these simple comments that can make it clear that we are not on the same page as that person. Yeah. Um, but also do it in a way that's professional. Also give the other person an opportunity to correct themselves or recognize that what they said was not appropriate for the workplace. I think that's a huge factor as well, where we want we want to reach more individuals who are just entering the workforce with different resources mm -hmm. and educational strategies as well. So kind of following into that, what are some of the projects that, like we know you're working on one that's kind of industry related. So what are some of the projects that you're doing to kind of work on providing those resources for the communities we were just talking about? Yeah, so one of the exciting programs that we have coming up is this national tour. And what this tour is about is we are going to visit different communities to really, again, raise awareness about this issue, but most importantly, help them learn about how to navigate these issues. And we're going to be popping up in different cities um, and also college campuses as well to provide both services. So we'll have lawyers and therapists on site um, to help individuals that are in a situation and need help in the moment. But we'll also be providing trainings and workshops to educate the community about how to navigate these issues, what type of resources are available to them, answer any questions they have about this issue, whether you have experienced something at work or experiencing something now, or you just want to be educated for any potential future issues that arise mm -hmm. um, as well. So uh, we've talked a lot about people from different immigration statuses and people from different ages. And how does coming from a different status change how you affect sexual harassment? And how does that kind of relate to the whole issue? Great question. So in this industry, we often talk about how sex is power. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes these issues are amplified depending on different statuses or identities that you have. So for instance, you might be more vulnerable. There's another layer of vulnerability if you are an undocumented immigrant because it creates a situation where the perpetrator, for instance, is aware that you're undocumented and can hold that against you mm -hmm. to get you to do inappropriate acts, for mm -hmm. instance. There's other factors as well where oftentimes harassment is the risk of harassment is amplified depending on factors like your age. So if you're younger or your race, so people of color oftentimes are more likely to experience harassment in the workplace. And all of these factors combined mm -hmm. creates 
more um, potential for experiencing harassment. And that's something that, again, we need to be able to call, to call out, to identify yeah. and have discussions around and how to navigate it as well. And oftentimes these issues are unconscious as well. And so we'll probably dive into that a little bit more when we um, talk about different strategies for um, bystander trainings on this issue as well. But there's a lot of times where there's unconscious biases at play. They're not even aware that they're acting on these biases, mm-hmm. potential for experiencing harassment. And that's something that, again, we need to be able to, to call out, to identify yeah. and have discussions around. Thank you so much. So just one last question. Mm-hmm. So what is one thing you want to tell the audience in this podcast? Like if they take one thing away, what is the most important thing for you? If there's anything that you take away from this podcast episode, I would want it to be that you feel, you understand that you have the power mm-hmm. to change the future of workplaces. The steps to shaping those workplaces is easier than you think. And even one little choice that you make in a day to call out somebody for inappropriate behavior or even following up with a colleague you, you witnessed um, possibly getting offended or harassed or uncomfortable in the workplace, um, if you're able to even give them a word of reassurance that they're not crazy <laughs> and um, that you understand how they feel, even something as simple as that hmm. can make a big difference on this issue. And so that's what I would encourage. Awesome. Thank you for coming in today and for being so candid about all your research and information. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was Thank fun. You so much. <laughs> hey guys, we are super thankful that you were able to make it to our podcast today. And we really hope that this overview of what sexual harassment is and what your options might be really, really helps you navigate anything you might be going through right now. Also, just a quick follow-up. Tammy mentioned that there was going to be a Better Brave national tour across the U.S. to really help us engage with the community and make sure everybody knows how and what their options are for getting out of sexual harassment. Unfortunately, due to COVID-19, we won't be able to do that tour. But no worries, we will be partnering with universities across the U.S. to help university students learn a little bit more about what sexual harassment is and what they can do in the workplace. So stay updated on how you might get involved. We really hope to see you guys next week where we talk to Adrian Lawrence about what it's like being fresh meat in the workplace and how you can navigate sexual harassment when you don't have any of the power. Also, we think this topic is incredibly important and really needs to be shared so that no one has to go through this issue alone. So subscribe on your typical podcast finding services like Spotify or Apple Podcast and share it around. Thanks.